Hey, what's up? This is your girl, Diamond Styles, and I am the master chef, cooking you up something succulent and divine. It's your boys out here, and we are serving hot talk and cool iced tea. And I'm Mia Mix, here to set the tone and make sure the mood is right. So come on in and get comfortable. Pull up a chair, have a seat. You can even take your shoes off. Wait, not if your feet is down. <laughs> oh, hell no. Welcome, Welcome to Marsha's Plate. The time has come for you to be the change you want them to be, yeah. No more running around filled with all hypocrisy, yeah. It starts from the inside, it spreads wide, and everything will be alright. Join the conversation. Hashtag Marsha's Plate. Oh, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We want to hear what you guys have to say. You can also help us build community by becoming a patron on patreon.com slash Marsha's Plate. By contributing to this podcast, you help us continue our powerful work to change culture one episode at a time. So let's get started hey what's up this is your girl diamond and i am so excited to share this conversation to have this conversation and to share this conversation with my audience on youtube and on Marsha's plate i have the amazing kimberly foster here <laughs> she is the creator and ceo of for harriet which is like a black feminist online community that celebrates the fullness of womanhood it features creative works that are meant to move critical conversations that we are having in our culture currently today. And I just think she is a brilliant mind and I wanted to have her on the show just to share her brilliance with y'all. So welcome, Kim. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so I met you, I think it was, well, of course I met you online a um, long time ago, but in person, I went to one of your black girl gathering. Do you remember when you used to do that? You don't do it anymore. <laughs> no, too much work. It's not enough payoff for the amount of work it is, but it was fun while it lasted. Yes, it was super, <laughs> super fun. And I came early and I helped um, the crew that was there before you showed up um, set up. And it just was so fun. I was like, oh, this is a great idea. And I just wanted to be a part of it. And meeting you in person, you are exactly the same person. You were cool. You were, you know, we just, you just cultivated just a space of black women coming together, talking about our shit. And I fucking loved it. It was amazing. It just solidified my love for you even more. <laughs> so oh great that's good to hear sometimes i'll be worried like am i the same person offline <laughs> yeah okay it's good okay i was on it that day i i'm thank you for coming <laughs> so how did you transition from blogging to youtube um so blogging was a big thing for a while and um, when I first started for Harriet, I had no desire to be the face of the brand. I wanted it just to be about um, allowing other women the opportunity to share their experiences and share their thoughts and that I would just be the curator, the editor. 
Um, and also because I was really young, I knew that I didn't know anything. I mean, I was 21 when I started for Harry. I was just like, who wants to hear from me? Like, I don't know shit. And I didn't know <laughs> shit. Like, that was the right choice. Um, and so I edited the blog for a while and loved it. And then um, gradually I started writing. And and I also think that it was because people were always like, who, who owns this? Like, do white people own this? Because, you know, whenever you start talking about feminist stuff, you know, like, how tends to be like, what, this is the white man. And so um, I was like, okay, so I maybe need to be out a little bit more. And so increasingly I started writing and then um, I saw people doing videos. And so I was like, oh, maybe I could do like a video or two. And so I started doing videos and just posting them on Facebook because um, we had a really large Facebook page at the time. And then those videos started to pick up traction. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll keep doing videos. But really what really made me transition was my nieces are now seven. And um, hanging out with them, I realized maybe like four years ago, like how big YouTube was. Like, obviously I watched YouTubers like the beauty YouTubers and, um, you know, a couple of other YouTubers like lifestyle black women YouTubers here and there. But I don't know if I really had a good sense of how big it was and honestly how good of a business that it could be. And so I started to like, who are these people that they're watching? And then I read one article about, you know, one of those little kids that do the toy videos. Yeah. And, you know, and they make millions and millions of dollars. And I was like, wait a second. And then I started researching other people in different niches who are doing stuff on YouTube. And I was like, oh, oh, like this is a thing. Like they're really building out like media companies on YouTube, like creating videos. And so by that time, the, the blog business had it just kind of, it had kind of imploded. Like we saw, you know, people don't really do blogs the way that they used to, like in the blog heyday. And so it's yeah. like, okay, so this is a way to continue the work of for Harriet, to continue the work of having these conversations that are rooted in black feminist politics, but just deliver it a different way. And instead of hiding the way that I did when I was 21, I was like, okay, I'll be the face. Like I can do this. Um, you know, I did, you know, lots of, you know, uh, speaking and debate and whatever as a kid. And I was like, I, I can do this. Like I can be good at it. And so I just decided to just make the transition and put everything into the video side of it, probably about three years ago, maybe. And then it really picked up like uh, 18 months to two years ago. And then over the past year, it's been like explosive growth. Mm, I remember. So because I started in 2008 and for me, it was like a journal. And because I, most of the trans people online on, on the YouTube space were really just documenting their transition. They were documenting, you know, I've been on um, testosterone for this long. I've been on estrogen for this long. I've did this surgery. This is my recovery. It was really, really based in physical, but I transitioned maybe 10 years before that. So all that stuff, I had already done, so I, could, that, I couldn't bring that to the table in the YouTube space. So what I started talking about was just my experiences as a black trans woman. 
like experiences with love and jobs and blah, 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 blah. And for some reason it kind of picked up, not picked up like you, of course, but um, it picked up in a, in a, just a different way. And I literally started to be able to live off the money that I was making from YouTube in its heyday where I was like, oh my God, and I'm getting a nice check from this because if I continue to do it. And so even though I was a very, very small niche of, of conversation, but also they didn't have the rules around the algorithm that they have now. For some reason, were you here when the shift happened in the algorithm? No. So it's been, I started like really, really focusing on YouTube after that. But I will tell you that I say this all the time that I am afraid of algorithms. That's one of the reasons why I've set up my business the way that I have so that I don't really, because I know that because I experienced this with Facebook, like during the blog days, like one day the Facebook algorithm was doing great for the blog and like everybody was seeing the links. And then the next day, like nobody was seeing the links. Yeah. And so I get it. And I know YouTube has done the same thing for a lot of people. Yes, it was horrible. It totally, I mean, I went from making over a thousand to like 300 and it was yeah. because of my, um, my, um, my content is deemed not for kids. My mm -hmm. content is deemed almost not advertisable. So every video, no matter if I'm talking about, I, I, couldn't, I could be talking about, just because I'm a trans black woman talking, <laughs> it, is, it is deemed, if I put trans black experience at work, because of that, it's controversial, so they can't put ads on it. So it totally changes what I can put ads on. So it totally changes, change what um, you, my experience on YouTube. So I had to transition in the sense of how you transition from the blogs, in the sense of how like Nicole bitch you transition to something else, mm -hmm. um, just stuff yeah. like that. You gotta yeah, be flexible. <laughs> yeah, so I transitioned to podcasting. And it became more of a community-based support. Of course, like you, because I, I watch your stuff. You, you know, you said you get more money from um, Patreon. It's the Way same more money. Way more money. And so I wanted to, I really wanted to talk about how um, you um, navigated that space. Have you, what is this new place that you're in, in it being explosive, what's the most exciting thing about it? Um, I'm most excited about the fact that I have, well, you know, I have some real bad, you know, I was doing bad financially for a minute, right? So like, so when the algorithm changes and it's unexpected, like, you know, I was in my mid twenties and I just assume like if you're making, you know, uh, I don't know, $15,000 a month, you're always going to make $15,000 a month. And you know, you plan your life and you're skipping down the street and you're like, hey, let me buy every, you know, and like, let me buy these Louboutins and whatever. And then all of a sudden you're not making that. And it's like, oh, okay. But then I have to go back and pay my taxes. Like, and you know, it's right. So, um, I, when I decided to make the transition and, and switch up the business stuff, um, I really did it with the in the had it in the forefront of my mind that you know now I'm in my 30s you know like shit is real right like I need to like really be thinking about not just am I just going to be able to buy shit today but am I going to be able to live like a, a stable life in next year like in five years and so I feel the best about the fact that I'm not living month to month that I am able to have some stuff 
in the savings and able to have other kinds of investments, but also able to pay the people who work with me a, a fair wage. Like that makes me the most excited that I can have complete control of my time, that I have complete editorial control. Nobody tells me what can go up and what has to come out, but also that I can make a, a good living. Absolutely. And, and pay the people who work for you well. You're listening to Houston's own MP Trans 101. Now listen, I know that what is basic Trans 101 for me could just be the beginning for you. So this is for your basic ass. basic for me in this life could be just the beginning for you. of the leading cause of death of black women that is not a disease is intimate partner homicide. Black women are the least likely to date outside of their race. So these niggas is killing us. <laughs> what did Angie Stone say? Black brother, I love you. I know I never try to hurt you. I want you to know that I'm here for you forever true, but these niggas ain't true to us. <laughs> these niggas is out here harming us, beating our ass, killing us, shooting us in our motherfucking feet, and we still got to navigate, you know, protecting them from the police. We still creating Black Lives Matter movements for them. We still doing all this motherfucking shit to protect them because we are invested. Not It's not really about protecting them. We are invested in dismantling racist systems, racist state, police state, because we know, because of our vantage point, that it also affects us. So we have to stand in solidarity with them because, yo, we know they're killing you and they're killing us. So it's not really just invest, oh, we want to protect our black men. No, we want to protect our motherfucking self and them because we have sons. We have, you know, we have investment in protecting the black body because we fucking black anyway so but this is not about that <laughs> i want to talk to the black women black women when it comes to trans women we are out here being murdered by the same thing think about janice talton jackson she was killed at a bar in pittsburgh because a nigga was trying to holler at her in the bar and she was like, no, I'm not interested. And she left the bar to go to her car and he followed her and killed her. When we talk about Islan Nettles in Harlem, she was walking down the street and these niggas was calling her. When she spilled her tea, like to, you know, deter them. <laughs> I'm trans, no thank you. They beat her to death. The, one of the guys beat her to death. Um, Joshua Vallum, he killed Mercedes Williams, a trans woman. Because he was in a relationship with her for two years and his homies found out and spilled her tea to him. His homie was like, you know, that's a man, right? He says, no, it's not. Lied and said he didn't know that, he, that she was trans, even though he had been in a relationship, intimate relationship with her for two years. <laughs> it was documented through text, documented through him coming and spending time with her family. 
When his homeboys found out, he felt threatened and went and killed Mercedes Williams. Tradell Goodwin killed LaShonda Childs. LaShonda Childs, black cis woman, did everything that the system told you to do. You leave the relation, the abusive relationship, you leave it. You go get a restraining order. Every single thing, every system that was, every mechanism that was in place to help her stay safe as a woman trying to get out of a situation, she did. She went and got the restraining order. She put an APB out <laughs> on Facebook saying that, yo, I think this nigga is crazy and he might do something to me. Friends and family didn't know what to do, couldn't protect her. The nigga ended up killing her. There's so many of us that are out here dying at the hands of black cis men. Is that the only thing that is killing us? Absolutely not. But we have an, we have an overlap in who is murdering us and why <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. There may be some different circumstances within our situation, but the same dem toxic demographic is harming us. Sometimes in some situations, more so than white men. I remember I shared the analogy with y'all. When we talk about a fish in the water being chased by a shark, the shark chasing the fish, trying to eat it, to the fish, this, this shark is the imminent danger. We know that this shark is trying to get us, eat us, wear us out, kill us, boom, 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 boom. So immediately, it seems like this is the this is the enemy. This is the danger. But white supremacy and racism is the polluted water that we are both in. It's the polluted water that is going to end up killing us both. And so to me, in this analogy, we black women, cis or trans are the little fish. Black men are the shark. And the polluted water is white supremacy and white folks. So that shit kills us all. So, yeah, we got to fix it. We want the, the water not to be polluted. But in this moment, that what I'm talking about, I'm talking about this fucking shark that is killing us, that is chasing us, that's wearing us out, about to fuck us up. That's who I'm talking about right now. Do we need to fix white supremacy? Are white men a problem? Are white women a problem? Are other um, non-black, <laughs> um, non-white folks a problem? In, in contributing to our oppression. Absolutely. But what right now we're talking about black men and, and I'm sharing with you that is important for black cis women and black trans women to go come together because a lot of our oppression overlap. There are a lot of situations where we are in community with each other and because you are looking at us as some alienated thing that you don't have to worry about alienated thing that doesn't that all of our oppression somehow comes from our transness and it has nothing to do with our womanhood nothing to do with our blackness nothing to do with anything that you have to do with or you think our transits make it worse and you don't have to worry about it. Absolutely, it does make, us wor make it worse. But where we have overlap, I think you should have an investment in being an ally. No, I'm not asking you to be a mule and come do the work for us. What I'm asking you to do is be a comrade and work on the stuff that we, we have overlap in. That's simply what I'm asking you to do. And don't add fuel to the fire.
if you're sitting around talking to cisgender men and you are spreading transphobic rhetoric, calling us men, that used to be a man, oh, that's a boy. We just recently saw when the three trans women that were being attacked in West Hollywood, there was a cisgender woman there with the men recording and saying, don't hold his hand, that's a boy. These things add to the fuel. There's multiple situations where cis women being in the vicinity added to the problem. And so for, for me, what I'm asking you to do is don't add to the problem. Don't make things worse. Don't add to our oppression. And we don't want to add to yours. I am calling out my people when they are upholding misogynistic views, when they are spreading hate and being catty and being, oh, she just, they, cis women just jealous of us. I don't let that shit slide. I don't let that shit um, ride when it comes across my ears. I hope that you do the same for me. When men are being transphobic, when they are being hateful, I would love for you to stand there and say, you know, that's not right. That's not okay. I would love for you to be the person when I'm not around to call that out in the same way we ask white women and white allies to call that shit out at their Thanksgiving table. I would like for you to do the same thing because I want to build community. I want to have more allies because these systems are too big and our, and our numbers are too small. We can't afford for any more black women, cisgender or trans, to die at the hands of black men. And the stakes are too high, absolutely too high, for us to be adding fuel to the fire, contributing to each other's oppression. We gotta stop that. And this has been a Trans 101. Oh my God, I want to thank all of our new patrons this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yay, 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 yay. So not only are you helping to sustain this particular podcast, you know, I also donate to other podcasts. I donate to other organizations. I have my finger on the post of the community. And I know a lot of grassroots organizations that are doing great work out here. So you're not only helping to sustain us, you're helping to sustain other people in a community. Because I put my money where my mouth is. You know, that's just the kind of bitch I am. Community is fuck. <laughs> so thank you. I really, really appreciate you. And if you have not become a patron, why have you not? You can donate as low as a dollar a month. It doesn't matter. Anything helps. Please. Do I have to play Sarah McLaughlin and show you puppies? Like, what do I have to do? Do I have to do resort to what the white people do to get you to give them money? <laughs> All righty. Anyway, thank y'all. And the Patreon and PayPal link is at the bottom. Back to the show. So recently you have been doing a lot of work um, advocating for black trans women. So I just thought it was a perfect time to have you on. Mm -hmm. um, and you have been, I don't want to say attacked. <laughs> I, I have been attacked. That's inappropriate. Okay. That's appropriate. You have been <laughs> a, a, attacked for kind of um, showing solidarity with trans women. You know, I was invited to a live of a couple of people 
who are um, cisgender women who have YouTube channels that are not that don't include trans in woman womanhood. So I wanted to bring you on, kind of to explain um, how you got to the place that you are now. And can you to start the conversation off and give context? Can you define define womanhood for me? Oh gosh, can I define womanhood? <laughs> I don't even know if I can really define it. I'm not sure. I think my definition of womanhood is changing from day to day, but I think that there's a, a set of experiences around like gender-based oppression, right? People who are viewed as women, people who believe themselves to be women, move through the world in a way where we are, we are um, expected to be subordinate, where we are treated as second-class citizens, where um, our bodies are treated as public property, um, where we are minimized and neglected and abused, um, and we can come together around that stuff. It's not necessarily for me about genitalia. Um, it's not necessarily about menstruation or ovaries or all of that, but it is about the way that we all have to navigate the world experiencing similar sorts of similar sorts of marginalization. Because that was what you just said is something that I hear a reoccurring in these, these I call them TERFs, um, in these TERF kind of conversations, um, which is um, trans exclusionary. Radical feminism. Radical feminism. <laughs> in, in, in my mind, they always bring up um, babies and um, menstruation and being the gatekeepers of life. It oscillates between this really strict, logical, biological thing to this spiritual, um, we're the magic that brings every human into the earth. It's a whole thing, which is, it's amazing. That's, it's a special thing. But when we're talking about, um, for me, when we're talking about um, not inclusion and who's included, who's not included in womanhood, you kind of um, reinforce this thing that harms our particular community. So I want to ask you, why do you think it's important for cis women to um, think expansively about those parameters of womanhood. Why do you, what's the benefit? I think for, as a black cisgender woman, I think it is because I understand the way that a very narrow definition of womanhood that is often created to center white cisgender, really upper class women harms me. So it is useful for me as a cisgender woman who um, can never embody this like, like delicate, like dainty ideal because that is fundamentally rooted in a white supremacist ethic. It is useful for me to say, okay, no, actually let's just tear all of that down. Let's allow everybody to come into the fold so that no matter how we show up, right? If you show up in a body that looks like Serena Williams, if you show up as a Laverne Cox, if you show up as a Kimberly, that we can all have a seat at the table, that we can all um, say that we are deserving of protection, that we are deserving of support, that we're deserving of community. I just think that it is useful for us to understand that the history of those constructions Right. Um, like for I say this all the freaking time and I don't know maybe I'm not saying it right but it's like it's like it I understand that I am worthy of care just because of the way that I show up right I don't have to have a baby to be worthy of care um, I'm not going to be less worthy of care and protection and community 
if I stop menstruating, if my ovaries are removed or, or like, or what, like, I just think that it's useful for us to understand that that, that narrow stuff means that there are always going to be large swaths of us who are going to be outside of that. And if you subscribe to like this narrow idea of womanhood, it allows it allows the definition of, of womanhood to be arbitrary. So it, it means that like in whatever space that you occupy, somebody can be like, no, 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 like, okay, so yeah, you are a woman in this space, but in this space, sorry, you don't fit. Or, okay, yeah, like in this era, you are a woman, but actually in this era, you're not. I just think it's just useful for us to just think broader. It's funny, when I think of what, what it harkens back to and what you said, just what, what it reminds me of is the story in um, 1866 of Frances Thomas, the trans woman who was roommates with a cisgender woman. And in that, in that time, it was freshly out of slavery, of course, since it was 1866, and they were in Memphis. And women, trans women, people were really being free to be who they were and they were a part of the community and everybody was in this economic system that was trying to come up out of slavery. And so brothels were popping. Um, And when we talk about how we all are in community, in that moment, Frances, who was the first trans woman to, you know, testify in a congressional hearing in Memphis in, in history that we know of, she she was saying that me and my cisgender girlfriend, who was um, my roommate, were raped by this group of white men who were trying to terrorize us during this during this uh, you know riot where they were still angry about you know slavery being abolished and this was how th- these white men asserted their power to regain more of the power that they lost over um, over black people. Of course, black women trans cis are going to be the ones that they they have the power based on how patriarchy works that they have the power to get the, whatever feeling that they needed to get from raping us from pillaging our homes blah 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 she literally is testifying with other sisters and women her being included in the space that like it didn't matter that i was trans or not right. they raped us all <laughs> right. And it, right and it doesn't matter if you're trans or not if you are a black woman you will often if people don't like the way that you look or what you say or whatever um they will say that you're masculine or manly or like or whatever or you know like in order to degrade you in order to put you in the category of rapeable of um exploitable as abusable neglectable right like so yes we are all you know look people get mad at me because i say because they they and i don't think that they believe that that's what i'm saying but the transphobes who attack me say, well, you're saying that cis women and trans women are exactly the same. That's not what I am saying. I'm saying that our experiences are similar enough that it makes sense for us to unite, right? The same way that as a class privileged black woman, I don't have the exact same experience as a poor black woman, but that doesn't mean that I'm not gonna invite the poor black, like we, we, our experiences are similar enough that I want to unite with you. I want to be in community with you because I understand that communities, there is strength in communities. We are never, and a lot of these black women, the transphobic black women be on that individualistic shit. And I'm like, okay, let's see where that's gonna get you, right? Individualism does not work for us. Our strength is in collectivism. Our strength is in community.
Exactly. I, I I was listening to a video and the girl was like, well, we I put ourselves on the line for so many people. Now it's time for us to look out for ourselves. But in the same breath, we're asking um, black men to help us dismantle patriarchy. We're asking white women to help us dismantle racism. We're asking them to look at the nuances of being an oppressor and being oppressed. We're asking them, hey, this is how you can help us in our plight since we got both of these things against us. And so when I hear you, it, it doesn't really make sense for me to hear them talk about individualism, like we gotta look out for ourselves, but at the same time do that. It just doesn't make sense. Um, so what are some of the overlaps? So just, let's be um, really distinct about what are some of the overlaps? One of the things that I see, um, of course, is intimate partner violence. Yeah. Because despite what people think um, about the trans experience and the transphobic narrative that says, oh, we're out here deceiving, it really, if you look, I, I'm the executive director of a, of a, a nonprofit. I look at cases all the time, literally, just literally counting all the cases and following the cases of trans women who have been murdered. What happened be after the, the blow up? So what I have come to learn since 2015 is that they are people that know. It's not people who we are deceiving. It is people who know who we are in intimate relationships with, which is aligning with the 2015 CDC research that was out about domestic violence and intimate partner homicide, how black women <laughs> are the demographic that is, a, is predominantly affected by that. So it aligns with that, those facts. So why yeah, can't we do that? This, this idea of disposability, right? And so um, it's almost like, you know, cis, uh, cisgender women who have these transphobic ideas they are trying to fight the fact that black women are seen as disposable by trying to dispose of trans black women. And I'm like, no, like we are all seen as disposable. We are all seen as people who um, are not worthy of um, being cared for, of when there is violence in our, in our homes, in our communities, in our families, that violence is minimized because of patriarchy, right? Because we have been socialized to say, okay, we gotta protect black men. And yeah, like these black men, they can't help it. And, the, and it's the rap music and it's the video games and they just try, and it's like, no, right? Like we actually just need to fundamentally shift the way that we view and value black women, all black women. Yeah. Simple as that. So when you hear them talk about um, that we are forcing, that it is almost like a, a, um, a residual effect of us being socialized as males, that we are trying to force ourselves in cisgender women's spaces. And it, it is rooted in our misogyny that we learned as little boys, um, that trans women need to dismantle that misogyny. How are you? And they use a, almost like the language of rape culture, like you are forcing yourself yeah. on me. And I feel like that's disingenuous. What do you think about that? I think it is, we go to that, not we, but they go to that because it is easier to go to that than to really wrestle with the ways that we have been socialized into transphobia. It's like, I have just had this conversation with Travel Anderson and they were I in that. I, I loved it, by the way. We'll put the link into that. In yeah. The and they were in that Netflix documentary, Disclosure, right? And 
I wanted to talk to somebody from Disclosure because I was like, whoa, I had no idea the number of transphobic tropes, the number of transphobic ideas that permeate our media, that permeate film and television, that, that permeate our casual conversation. And so it is because we, most of us, are not really reckoning with the fact that every day, like in our daily lives, we are taught to be fear fearful of trans folks. We don't understand their experiences. We don't, we're, we're not listening to what they're actually telling us. We're not really reckoning with the fact that this is not, when, when I am saying that our Black women's spaces need to be inclusive of Black trans women, people are going to, well, that's just a man because they, they are not understanding that this is, a, this is a woman. Like you're, they're not taking the time to really work through it and tease it out, right? If, instead of taking that time to listen, they are defaulting to that really deeply rooted transphobia. And it's like, I don't know, I don't know what to do with that, right? Because if you're unwilling to do that untangling, if you're unwilling to do that really deep digging about how you come to these false premises, there's not, I mean, you know, it's like, so, so yeah, like that's really what it is. It is so much easier to see ourselves as being the victims of an oppression than it is to see ourselves as being the purveyors of the perpetrators of oppression and marginalization that I just think that people just default to that stuff. I, it's just nonsense. I think um, recently I listened to uh, um, an episode of the Inner Hole Uprising. Their episode is two, um, episode 202, and it's called You Don't Gotta Go to College to Get Knowledge. And in there, um, in Sam and Akua talks about a study, a, 60, a review of a 60, 68 study that connected air pollution with the adverse outco birth outcomes, right? And they... And in their conversation, they were making connections that Black feminists and Black activists make. Like, yes, um, they, the, the study said that cisgender women who are exposed to air pollution have a higher chance of premature birth, even more if they have asthma. Then they went and said, let's look at the percentage of um, Black women who have asthma, who are affected by it, and they're the highest group. So, of course, if you look at that, making those connections, you know that the disparities for black women around environmental racism is going to be super, super high, right? So it is super, super easy for somebody who is activist or, or a black woman who, who, um, who is used to seeing these type of disparities to look at that and say, oh my God, look, this is an example. And so I bring that up because they simply are ignoring those type of same unique disparities with yeah. trans women that overlap, which like literally you can do it when you're trying to teach about black women's disparities, but you can't do it when you're trying to look and examine trans women disparities that's unique to us that overlaps with black women, cisgender women. I just think it's really strange. I just find it to be so weird that we understand that there are all types of black women. There are all types of black women, college educated, ho, and I mean ho in a good way, right? Yeah. Right, like, yeah. like, right, right, right. Like, be a ho. Right, right, <laughs> right. Like, um, you know, respectable, um, poor, um, rich, like, um, so, so it's like, why, why, when we say trans, like, why is that your boundary? I don't, I don't understand. It's like. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I really am having a difficult time with this because I'm like, am I just explaining it wrong? Like, I don't know. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think it's that, right? It's, it's just bigotry. Just bigotry, simple as that. Yeah. La, 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 la.
la 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 So let's talk about what I have called being cis woke. <laughs> so you would be a cis woke person. You, in, in regard to the trans politic, you would be a woke person. So we all grew up in a world um, of cis folks where that is the norm. We know um, and think kind of even trans folks kind of align ourselves with cis heteronormativity in a way our transness is really not every one of us and we're coming to know know a more nuanced experience about transness but early in my age in my era in the when i came out in the in early 90s it was you transition you you fit you you need to be passable you need to look a certain way. You need to present yourself a certain way. And this is just something that um, was the norm. In that, in, in, in that context, well, how did you, you know, like some white folks, if, they're to, if you talk to them about racism, they will tell you um, that there, there, are, there are racist conversations happening when we're not around. And they didn't notice them until they got woke around black experiences. How did you get woke around the trans and cis narrative in your politics? Yeah, really social media. Um, you know, I can now reflect on my childhood and my adolescence and be like, oh yeah, there are definitely gender variant and trans people, gender non-conforming people in my life. Like mama had a cousin who was trans, right? But nobody, there was, nobody talks about it. Like, there's no silence. Like, you know, like, we just pretended like it wasn't a thing and, like, don't ask questions and, like, whatever. And it was, like, treated as a spectacle or whatever. And not until social media, when I had access to just be able to listen to trans folks and gender non-conforming folks, like talk about their experiences. And then, yeah, media is powerful because I do remember that time period of Orange is the New Black when Laverne Cox became like a famous person and then Janice, Janet Mock became really famous. And then I read Redefining Realness. Now, Redefining Realness really was like, oh, this is compelling. Like. Oh, okay. Like, like the the stories that Janet Mock was um, outlining in that book about finding herself and coming to her own as a young black girl. I was like, oh, this this feels familiar to me as a cis person. But she trans, right? So I don't know. I just I just think that the internet has allowed me the opportunity to listen, mm. you know, and, and not just. Um, be stuck in my, you know, little kind of bubble. You know, I'm from Oklahoma and Texas, so you know, it's, you know. Um, but yeah, it, it allowed me access to different narratives and to different voices that really was like, oh, I see it, I see it now. I remember a friend of mine, Esme Brown. She, she, we were having maybe in 2012. She, we were having a conversation. We were doing like a. Um, a group where we were trying to, it was called Bridging the Gap Between Sisters, Cis and Trans, uh, some stuff like that. And she was, we were talking about the bathroom bill because that was a hot button topic. And she was talking about, she was like, I'm going to be honest in the conversation. When I was growing up, I was scared of trans people because, because of my fear of men and because I was taught that trans people were still men. If I saw them in the bathroom with me, it was scary for me. It was scary, and and talk, and, and then when we talk about the disclosure and the tropes that were p presented in 
film and on that is disgusting. You're throwing up, blah blah blah. So for her, when I, she was like, when I was younger, I would have been one of those cis women that called the police if you were in the bathroom with me or that went out and complained to the people. She was like, because I didn't know trans people and I didn't know um, any, any reference outside of what, that this is a man and a man is not supposed to be in the bathroom. Do you remember anything growing up that reflected that? Yeah, you know what? Like I was just talking about my mom's cousin and he, they went by Charles Zeta. Okay, so, so okay, so, this is because I never really have talked to my mom about this, but like I have like this really, um, I have this really just distinct memory in my mind because I remember going to like my mom's aunt's house and like Charles Zeta was there and I don't know what their pronouns are and I actually think they passed now, but their birth name like was Charles and they went by Charles Zeta and they had these nails and long hair and i remember thinking huh like they have nails on like and but nobody you know nobody just talking you know and there's no conversation that I, I remember asking my mom about it and she was like no we're just not gonna talk about it but i just remember thinking like huh like this this i've not seen that before and and truly not until i don't know maybe eight years ago was i like oh that okay that is a gender variant person i don't know they went by what pronouns again. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like there's definitely just different things where I'm like, because our default is the binary, when people exist outside of that or move outside of that, and you know, I grew up real religious, real, real religious, like going to church like three, four times a week. So that stuff was always just pushed to the side or, you know, it really was don't be that. So, okay, so that person is here, you know, uh, we love Jesus, so we have to allow everybody in here, but just know that you can't be that, and we're, we're not going to support that, and whatever. So, I don't know, I just think it shows up, and then, you know, you have that light bulb moment of, oh, that's fucked up. We're, we're really fucked up around here. Mm, I remember going to church, because I, I grew up in a Kojic church, and went to Apostolic Pentecostal. Um, those denominations where, you know, the women were really, really oppressed. They had to wear jean skirts down to their ankles, yeah, et cetera, different. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I remember noticing, I didn't have the language, but I remember around nine, this well, I transitioned around 13. So around nine, there was this guy who was, at the time, he was 18 and I was nine. And he was, he was navigating this space as a young man that was performing masculinity in the way that get praised. And of course I was not. And he would get just privileges, like he would get to sit where he wanted to sit in church. When he would go to the, to the cafeteria, the women, he was super, super cute. So the women would, uh, would swoon over him, older women would swoon over him, give him extra chicken from the, in the church, in the, on the church plates. And I would watch this and I was attracted to him like in, 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 at that time. Um, and so I would see how he navigated spaces and, and I would see how the girls would navigate spaces. And it was distinctly, I distinctly, I didn't call it patriarchy. I didn't call it any of that because I didn't have that language, but I distinctly felt like I can see that this is unfair. Like mm -hmm. I remember 
a girl having her hair, uh, getting whooped by having her hair a certain way, getting whooped for being, playing with us outside in the dirt. <laughs> I remember her, but I also remember myself um, being shunned out of male spaces that he was allowed into because he performed masculinity in a certain way. It was, mm -hmm. I remember them trying to send me to a, a camp about, um, to masculinize me. And yeah. I, I need to learn how to shoot. I need to learn how to um, fish. I need to learn how to, so they got me guns, da 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 But what was funny is because I come from Mississippi black women, I already knew how to fish and I already knew how to shoot. Yeah. And so if you're trying to masculinize me through this, you're not because the women that I knew, this is how they navigated. Yes, that is the thing about the, the these gender constructs, right? Like, like we we're always shifting in and out of them, and we're always, um, you know, one foot in, one foot out. It, they they become nonsensical when you really try to, you know, break it down or whatever. But I definitely, you know, I grew up in a very feminized household where I recognized early that you do get extra points for being a super super feminine girl. Like you do get. People love, you're so cute and you're so pretty and your hair is so nice. And like, I was always looking for that praise and whatever. So, and also I'll say a part of that is just like, I just like that shit. But I, I recognize that the the girls who did not want to do that or who, or who could not participate in those sorts of presentations, like they just got treated worse, right? And like unabashedly people treat girls who cannot be hyper feminine worse. Like it's like they deserve it. Like they brought that shit on themselves. And I was just like, that don't make no sense. Like, and that's, and that's true in the trans community. If you don't pass or you don't fit those ideal of beauties, whether it be colorism, whether you're dark skin, light skin, all those things that affect cis women, and how they're treated. It's the same thing with transness other than the uniqueness is passing. It's the same thing because people was, I remember growing up with, with my friend and with me, my grandmother who is transphobic as fuck, transphobic as fuck, she would say to me, the only, I can, even though she wasn't accepting me, she was like, well, at least you look like something. But then my friends who don't fit the beauty standard of me, <laughs> that were a little bit less passable, who were darker skinned. Well, uh-uh, see, you, uh-uh. See, that if, it was, if that was my grandchild, no. You, you don't even look like no woman. These are the languages. So I'm not gonna, language that people, even dudes would say, well, I treat you nice and I don't talk shit about you because you look like a girl. Somebody else, they would treat them way worse, fight them, throw bottles at them because they're not passing or not fitting the beauty standards. It's the same thing with us. Yeah, yeah. And I think that this is like, you know, I mean, this is one of the reasons why I think it's so important to have these conversations in Black women's spaces and to invite trans women and um, femmes and gender non-conforming folks into these dialogues is because we can have these conversations and be like, yeah, like, yes, I recognize that. I recognize that experience. Um, and it's like, you know, another thing that kind of became like a, a point of contention during that time was, I, I'm not saying, I, I, I understand why 
people would say that presenting in a more feminine way, like offers privilege or protection or advantages. I understand that. I see it, right? Like, like we've, we've just been talking about that now. My contention is that should not have to be the case, right? Like, like that, that is what the standpoint that I'm arguing from. I'm not denying reality. I don't think we can do that. That's not helpful. I just want it, I want everybody to be protected and get access to resources no matter how they show up. Mm. Yeah. Let's talk about um let's talk about transits in the context of dating men. Okay. Mm. <laughs> Have you ever um encountered men who were upfront about dating cis women and trans women i that have dated me or right, have this in general general in general I'm like, what's well, like i kind of had a flirtation with a man but he lives in a place that i would not want to live in but yeah like he openly date dates trans women and that don't what that got to do with me? Like, it doesn't bother me at all. That's, that's, I don't know. Now, if you openly date a white woman, we might have a problem. Like, that's a, like, like, but the, but yeah, yeah, once. But I, but I haven't, um, yeah, just that one man. As a trans woman, I just got to keep it real. Uh, as somebody who is trying to dismantle homophobia and, and internalize transphobia and work through dismantling that, when I meet dudes who do certain things sexually in the bedroom, i.e. like get fucked, mm-hmm. it does shake up. I do feel hypocritical because there is a judgment that um, shakes up in me <laughs> about a dude yeah. that takes a position like that. And it's because, and that's something that I'm personally working out. And when I hear women talk about men who date other, like bi- bisexual men, or who date trans women, or who date anything other than cis women, they always like, oh, well, I, it, it, it brings up an insecurity in them, or brings up like, oh, no, I can't, I, that seems like, mm, I don't know, you just gay. What do yeah, you think? I mean, you know, we are all socialized in homophobia, and I've had um, these, like, really heated conversations with some of my friends where I'm like, yeah, that's homophobic. Um, but, you know, I, I have definitely had relationships with more than one man who they have had sexual experiences with men, but they didn't, they didn't, they weren't able to like articulate it that way. And I was like, okay, so I'm having to fill in these gaps. Like, oh, and it's like, it's okay. Like, but I understand why they would be hesitant to um, really dive into the, it one because of, their their view of themselves right men a lot of um men don't want to think of themselves as bisexual or as gay so it's they're like oh well this one time and it's like okay all right um but but yes i am definitely i i don't i just don't have that i don't know maybe it's like a weird thing about my sexual i don't know what it is but i have never had that hang up about it it just is not Mm. maybe it's because i don't even really be into you know i don't know i I might be asexual i don't know but um yeah okay i i just i always wanted to ask people that because i always in my mind 
I know if I'm working through it, I know other people working through it. And yeah, no, people are definitely working yeah. through it. I just think that, I don't know. There's just something, it just has not been a hang up for me. And, and the thing is, it's like people are also looking to catch me in hypocrisy. So they, people often ask me like, so if a man said that he dated trans women, like, what would you do? Like, would you date a trans man? Like, would you date a bisexual man? And like, honestly, the answer is, yeah, like truly. Um, now people don't be trying to, you know, like, they're not, I don't know, you know, I don't approach men, so I'm, I'm not gonna, you know, you're gonna have to find me. Right, (laughs) but like like, if our shit is lined up right like yeah yes yes yeah and and i think we have to under uh, it's it's the same thing i think about like restorative justice we're trying to figure this shit out nobody knows exactly what's going on and so like and why i share that about myself is because i am figuring this shit out i may have worked it through in a way that um is a little bit more progressive than somebody else but i'm still working this shit out i can't tell you that i'm exactly on the board with dating trans men i just started including them in my conversation with dating because somebody i met a trans man that was amazing and fascinating and you know he called me out on my shit when i said oh i only date real men (laughs) he called me out on my shit and so that is what pushed me forward and so in my mind i'm like i can there's gonna be some times where it seems like in my in the midst of me working it out it may seem like i'm saying hypocritical things but i'm just working it out I mean, I have, but you know, that the the gender sexuality stuff is not, I am hypocritical. That's not where I'm hypocritical. I'm hypocritical about some class stuff. I'm hypocritical about some education stuff. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's like where my real problematic stuff lies, where I'm like, ooh, like, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, but yes, we are all still figuring it out. And I don't think, and nobody is politically perfect. Nobody is politically pure. And I think that if we pretend to be that, um, first of all, you just trip yourself up, right? Because, like, you're going to be exposed. But also, I think it allows other people to come into the fold because, I don't know, there's this thing about, you know, the SJW stuff and the woke stuff where, like, there's this idea that, like, if you're not perfect, then you can't sit with us. Like, that's bullshit. Like, I, I too, am very imperfect, and especially around the capitalism stuff. I'm really trying to work through some capitalism stuff right now, for real. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I, and and it, it, it pops up. We know that people are working through it because it pops up in our, our in our culture recently when we talk about Insecure and Molly dating that guy who told her that um she that he had got his dick sucked in college. Yeah. You remember that? You mm-hmm. remember and recently in I May Destroy You, um Michaela Cole, is that how you say her name? Mm-hmm. Michaela Cole. Um she, she, when the the white girl was um, he needed to reveal that he was... Have you watched it? I have. Mm -hmm. So when he needed to reveal that he was gay and he ended up having sex with her, um, all all these kind of nuances about it that, that has come up in our culture. And I see people having these weird, but sometimes weird, but sometimes good conversation around dismantling and talking about it openly. And I think that one of the things is having these kind of conversations helps us work through it out loud instead of being in secret, and particularly men who need the help around it. Um, because I think... 
Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so definitely women. <laughs> but, you know, just to work around um, some, it, particularly May I Destroy You, because I recently watched it, it was brilliant in yeah. navigating the nuances of sexual assault and rape and those things in regards to gender, how it look, how it shows up in genders, in different genders. It just, she was brilliant in regards to that. Oh, no, the whole series it. is like next level. Next like, level. Yeah. Oh, I can't. Oh, I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't wait. So um, she comes up with some more shit because she's just brilliant. So recently you have created um, a new channel uh -huh. where you could explore things outside of kind of like the black feminist lens. How are you enjoying that space? Um, well, it literally is brand new, like literally just started at the beginning of August. But I really just needed a space to do some different shit. I mean, honestly, in part because the the gender stuff was getting so heavy like like i know that that is a part of the mission of for harriet like that's a space rooted in black feminist politics and black feminist ethics and you can't create no black feminist space and be transphobic and be homophobic like that don't make no sense right so i have to do that work but the conversations were so heavy and it was so daunting that I was fighting with other black women all day. I said, I need to create another space where I can do just lighthearted, fluffier stuff. Um, but also like, those are my genuine interests. Like I'm genuinely interested. I'm genuinely obsessed with reality TV. Like that's, that's yeah. really, so I just wanted to create like, you know, uh, the other side of Kim can go over there and it's been, so great so far and I'm having so much fun in planning the content and making it and recording it. It's great. So I'm, I'm excited because I, I I'm that type of person where I'm looking for a space where um, I can talk about things that don't revolve around transness. And so <laughs> that I, I thought that that was great that you did that. I, you did have recently you had um, Cat Black and I cannot pronounce her name. Um, Lorraine Aleph, I Lorraine think. Lorraine Aleph, yes. I think that's how you spell it. And one of the questions that I thought was really, really interesting that you asked was about, um, about are there spaces that can be exclusive to either trans or cis spaces? And I actually disagreed with some of the things that the trans women said. Mm -hmm. I am one of the people that think that sometimes we, you need to be around your own people and with, with similar um, experiences, with um, unique experiences. And I wanted to know, and I think that there should be some spaces and room for cis women to say, I want this to be a cis women only space. I, don't, I, I just think it should be room. I, think, I, I just think that it should be. Um, did you come from that conversation with, um, in that particular around that particular question with a little bit more um, nuance around that. Um, you know, honestly, I am not somebody who thinks that there needs to be cis only spaces. I'm really not. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, so I absolutely, I don't really understand the idea that if you if we invite trans women into a space that it means that we can't talk about menstruation or it means that we can't talk about menopause or childbirth or I don't, why can't you? Like, I, I don't get it. And it just seems like I, I'm just not 
seeing a, a reasoning for that that is not rooted in these people are not actually women. Like, so, so if I could really, um, if I could really get with uh, cis women making the case, I, I just, I don't want to be a part of that because it just seems like uh, a cover for mm. these people are pretending and we're real. And it's, and you know, it goes back to, it's like, okay, so in black women's spaces, there are times when we talk about the, what, what do poor black women need? Right. And so women who are not poor, shut the fuck up. Okay. That's fine. Right. There are times when we say, how can we support um, black women who are sex workers, women, black women who are not sex workers, shut the fuck up. Like there are times. So, so, but why? And, and by the way, like, those women, because they are experiencing a particular kind of marginalization within the larger group, like historic and contemporary, I don't have a problem with poor women being like, you're respectable hoes, like you've been marginalizing us, like y'all can't come. But I don't think that it works the same way with cis and trans women. Because they're the norm. Right, like because as a cis woman, we are, we are viewed as the norm. We have the, the power to dominate. We have the power to exact these kinds of marginalization and participate in it. I just don't, I don't know. I just don't think, I don't know, I'm not willing to give cis women that pass. But if you like, I'm just not, I'm just not, cause I just need, I just need to know. Like, I, I don't know, but, um, but you, think that cis women should have a space because it's not really a because it's uh it's if, if i it's if i want to create a space where i say this is what i want yeah. and i'm organizing a space i feel like i should be able to say that i should be able to say this is what i want here yeah. and i don't need to explain why yeah. But what about, okay, so let's take like another kind of domination, right? So it's like, if like, if, uh, you know, well, I guess we call, I was gonna say like, if, you know, upper class, like college educated women like created that space, but we call them sororities, right? But, it's like, <laughs> right. but if there was, if, okay, so if a, you know, upper class black women said, okay, we're creating this group and no poor women can't come like explicitly. If they explicitly said, no, you cannot come to this, this meeting if you don't have a degree, you can't come to this meeting if you don't make $65,000 a year. People, there would be pushback against that, right? Like people say, you're elitist, you're whatever, whatever. If I, what if I made it, if my reasoning was, okay, I really want to talk about the racism in all PhD programs and I want to only invite people with PhD who have experienced this. Yeah, yeah, okay, 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 I'm closer, I'm closer. <laughs> I am closer. Because they would, they would be the ones who have experienced it, they would be the ones who have intimate knowledge of how the racism works, how I have to connect my work to some old white man's work in the 1800s or in the early 20s. They know the nuances of this particular experience. So why are you here? Even though you may be poor, why are you here? And so if I want it to be a conversation where we're trying to dismantle this, why do I need you here? Okay, okay, I'm open to it. Okay, okay, I'm open to that. I'm closer. I'm closer. I'm closer. 
Mm-hmm. It's just I think if it, if it's a unique thing and unique to a particular experience, I think you could you should you should have the right to be able to say that. So, but I I do get the balance of power. I get the point in you know you got more power, so why would you be excluding us? And I think it's stupid when we're talking about oppression that is overlapped. Like mm-hmm. that's when I think it's stupid. I think if we're talking about intimate partner violence, we're talking about homelessness, we're talking about some of the, the, the big things that affect us all, and you're trying to make it a cisgender space, then I'm like, you tripping. You, you know that's rooted in transphobia. But if it's something really, really, really specific, and they can, you know, outline that, I'm like, okay, cool. But I really don't want to be in a space that don't want me there anyway. <laughs> so it's not that okay, so what do you think is a, an example of a topic that would just necessitate being cis women only? Well, then we, when we talk about the un- abortion, I can't have an ab- I can't have a baby. Mm-hmm. So why do I, I, I can only be an ally in that space to me. Mm-hmm. I can be an ally for you. If you want me in the space to teach me how to be an ally and, and stand in, in solidarity with you, how can I support you in this space? Then for me, I'm okay. But yeah. that is a space that I feel like if you want that to just be a cisgender space, cool. I would feel weird if I was a trans man who has babies and you didn't want me there. I would feel, but I'm, but I'm not a trans man, so I can't. I wouldn't be the one to step up and say, "Yeah, um, well, you should have trans." Then it would be real weird for me. So you should have trans men in this space. No, I'm. I'm gonna say, okay, I don't need to be there. And so, yeah, when we talk about that particular type of reproductive justice, yeah, but but okay, so yes, I, I see what you're saying, but the 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 issue that I am having is that means that we're gonna police in certain ways. So if there was an abortion meeting um there would not be somebody at the door of the abortion meeting asking do you still have ovaries do you still menstruate you you can't come in this meeting so so that so that means that we are creating particular barriers for trans women that we are not that don't have trans that we do not extend to cisgender women who might not be able to participate in the abortion conversation for all kinds of reasons yeah yeah, uh, and and I think I'm triggered. Not triggered. That's the wrong word. Um, I think that what yeah what triggered that mentality for me is that I only one time. So I'm not mentioning this as like oh see see I'm not mentioning this like this. It was only one time. I rarely see trans women trying to force themselves into yeah. reproductive space. That is very very rare. But I have been in one situation. This is a very exceptional situation where a white trans woman who lived her most of her life as a man, very Caitlyn Jenner type of transition when I got older, where she was trying to force herself in a situation that I felt in a reproductive justice conversation. And I felt like she was wrong. (laughs) I was watching her and I was like, go sit your ass down. Yeah. Yeah, you know what, because I have not seen that or experienced that, because I've only seen the opposite, that's what's, I think that we're both just approaching this from, like, our experiences and, like, yeah. what we've seen, so it's difficult for me to to imagine the opposite, but yeah, I'm sure that that, that has happened. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I don't want to give that no kind of airtime. 
you know. And I thank you. I appreciate that. I definitely appreciate it. Um, yeah, I just, I just wanted to kind of nuance that a little bit. So, you know, I am so, you are one of my sheroes. I am so happy that you came and were a part of this for me. I just, I learned so much from you. I love your integrity. I love um, your thoroughness around topics. And I love that you are really um, taking a risk in using your platform in, in a way that uplifts our community. I think it's beautiful. I think it's admirable. And I thank you for it. And I thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. This was a great conversation. I appreciate it. You know, everybody don't come prepared. So, you know. You <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So um, can you tell them where they can find you? Um, sure. So as we talked about, I just created a new channel on YouTube. That's my full name, Kimberly Nicole Foster. Um, all of my social is Kimberly N, as in Nicole Foster. Uh, so Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Um, and obviously, the like my life's work, my baby is for Harriet. That's the YouTube and Instagram and Twitter and all of that. So you can find me there. Um, some people be in my DM. Sometimes I respond. Um, sometimes I don't because a lot of people come trying to talk crazy. Um, but if you do have a, a pressing inquiry, I am often on social media, so you can find me there. And I have all those links in the bottom. Thank you, for, thank you Kim, for joining me, and you have a great day. Thank you. Have a good day. <laughs> well, that's it. Thank you for coming and getting a taste of Marsha's Plate. You can listen to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Make sure you leave a review because we really need those five stars, y'all. And go like our Facebook page and leave some comments. We will be posting exclusive content every Thursday, so you definitely don't want to miss out. You can also follow us on Twitter and any other social media site at Marsha's Plate. If you'd like to donate or advertise with us, hit us up at diamondstyles at gmail.com. That's diamondstylz at gmail.com. And that's it for us, y'all. Bye. Bye-bye. You going to say bye, Mia? Oh, bye, y'all. Oh. <laughs> Every little thing's gonna be alright. Oh, don't you worry about a thing. Baby, it's a thing.